Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, just a word of warning. mess, aren't you? I'm not very tall, either. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Hello, welcome to Bums on Seats, Cambridge 105 Radio's fortnightly in-depth movie review show. Today, I've got Rosie. Hello. And Vicky. Hello. And Alistair. Hello. And Yozzy. Hello. We're sharing mics, sorry. Um, and then we're going to have Laura popping in to talk about Hobbs and Shaw because she is one of those Fast and Furious unicorn fans. And then we might have Ed popping in to talk about Moonstruck. That's the special oldie that we've got put into the show. Um, we're going to start off, though, with a little bit of Bruce Springsteen nostalgia. We're back to 1987 with Blinded by the Light. <laughs> No music could be like that. It's like Bruce knows everything I've ever felt, everything I've ever wanted. That's what you call real music. Springsteen. He's more what your dad listens to, not my dad. I want to be a writer. Writing isn't a job. I need you to do more. I can't wait to get away from here. Shazia, he looks like a Pakistani Madonna. When I'm dancing, I block out the world. I know what you mean. If you don't fix this now, we will lose our son for good. You cannot be serious. Bruce sings about not letting the hardness of the world stop you from letting the best of you slip away. I hope to build a bridge to my ambitions, but not a wall between my family and me. So it's 1987, we're back in the austere days, IMDb's words, not mine, we are politically <laughs> neutral, um, of Thatcher's Britain, um, and a sort of loner teenager is is not really into the Madonnas and the ahas and that of his era. He finds solace in the music of Bruce Springsteen, which is kind of seen as dad music at the time. It's billed as feel-good, Alistair. Stuff rarely makes you feel good at the cinema. You hate everything, and that's why we love you. <laughs> <laughs> Did you like this? I, I'm sorry to break the illusion that you have of me so quickly, but yeah, I yeah I felt incredibly good after this. It's incredibly corny. Um, that like good they, corny though. It, it's good corny. Like the characters break out into musical numbers, um, and yeah, it's the sort of film where as soon as it finished playing, I had the urge to go and listen to Bruce Springsteen, and I, you know, I was thinking it over as why. I allowed a film that was so corny to just, you know, win me over. And I think it's because it does a good job of establishing the period setting of uh, 1987. Um, it's set in Luton. Uh, it's a town, you know, besieged by mass unemployment. Uh, the main character's family uh, are all Pakistani. And there's uh, a resurgence of street racism, which it doesn't shy away from depicting. And with all of this sort of depressing reality, you know, firmly established, when it does give in to the character discovering Bruce Springsteen and the music transforming into musical numbers, you just go with it because if reality is that depressing, of course you're going to imagine this magical world that music can create. So, yeah, I was very moved by it. 
That's got to be sad if 1980s Leeds is... Is it Leeds? It was oh, no, Luton. Luton, Luton. sorry. Yeah. Le, I knew there was a le, is <laughs> is worse than what Bruce Springsteen writing about because isn't that sort of shipyard dock workers out in... Denver well, yeah, it's like New, you know, New Jersey, <laughs> New I Jersey. guess, is the Luton of America. Like, this is what the film argues. Okay, excellent. Yeah. So do they actually break out into musical song then or is it sort of weaved quite subtly throughout it it's i feel like it's weaved quite subtly but maybe not so subtly in the way that it, it's not a massive dance number but at the same time it's very present and they have these lyrics that come up on screen as if they oh, want yeah. you to sing along as well <gasps> oh rosie's into it <laughs> <laughs> i haven't seen it i haven't seen no, it that sounds great <laughs> very rosy but so does it will that turn people off then do you think or or is it sort of not that in your face please come sing along does it does it hinge itself on like you said the setting and the story and it really is just the fact that Bruce Springsteen happened to be the thing that got this guy out of his I think it is your last point in mm-hmm. that it is the Bruce Springsteen is the person that inspires him to like follow what he wants to do because um the main I feel like the main topic in this film is that his family well, he lives for his family or he's meant to live for his family and then he feels a bit oppressed and he feels like he can't um, like have a norm, like a life that his friends have. And right. then um, when he goes to sixth form and he meets different people and he gets introduced to these uh, lyrics of Bruce Springsteen, he just feels like he's been heard and then that's what makes him like really go for his goals. And that's why I feel like even though it is a really good feel-good film, at the end, throughout it, it does it. It's quite. It's much more deeper and darker than I thought it was going to get. But I really appreciate that. I really enjoyed the film. Okay, so do you recognise anyone apart from? I know Sally Phillips, who plays a teacher. But are they? Oh, Rob Brydon as well. But are they all quite unknowns? The young cast. I don't really recognise. Yes, them the anywhere. the lead actor um, is a, a complete uh, discovery uh, mm-hmm. for me. Um, it is based on the true story of a Guardian journalist who it, oh. we are told at the end of the film has seen Bruce Springsteen live a hundred and fifty times, <laughs> uh, which is insanity. But if this film is anything to go by, of course this guy has seen Bruce Springsteen live 150 times. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, it's just... <laughs> uh, yeah, it's if just you very can good... infect Alistair with feel-good, yeah. good. <laughs> you know, You know, it's feel-good if it's left me at a loss for words at describing how feel-good it is. I'm not used to feeling these emotions. I'm used to being cynical. But is it not cheesy at all or oh, is, not, it, not, is it good in the way it is cheesy it knows it has to be to kind of hook you and pull you I along I would say it knows that it has to be cheesy and what uh, Gurinder Chada who's the director yeah. she's previously made Bend It Like Beckham and Angus Thongs yeah. and Perfect Snogging so this is her back firmly in teen movie territory which is yeah, where she's had her she biggest been? success in the mm. past and what I think that she's good at is sort of weaving uh, American high school teen movies of the 80s, the cliches of those films with a sort of British grit and managing to mix those together. So you've got the fantasy of the teen movie as well as the reality of teenage life and they sit together a lot better than you'd imagine. And uh, yeah, I don't think any other filmmaker is so attuned to mixing two very different sensibilities and make it this feel good nice what do you mean vicky you're, you're less enthused by it you're not a child of the 80s I, do you like bruce springsteen at all are you a fan of the era at all or was it harder for you to kind of click with it do you i reckon? am a springsteen fan yeah. but i'm not a like a manic i wouldn't know mm-hmm. all the songs that were played throughout it yeah and the 80s um i think what 
I like I like the period, but the way it was like displayed on like I like eighties films like John Hughes kind of thing. Right. But this is eighties Britain, which is a completely different thing. Um, I feel like when you watch this time period in Thatcher's Britain, it is just uh, it doesn't it, it doesn't calm your soul about current events as right. well. Okay. Yeah. It's more this is England than pretty yeah. pink. Roger. But, and that's why I think <laughs> that the music numbers when they do come through, yeah. that's why I think they're so effective and so feel good because. They don't shy away from showing how depressing everything is. So, of course, you're going to want to give yourself away to the power of music if that's what you have to give live with in your, away to it. In your I, daily life. I do still want to see this because I'm a pretty big Springsteen fan. So I think, but I worried that I'd be really annoyed if this was super cheesy and completely I sold him down the river. I would that. It, okay. it, it is cheesy, but in the way that you can cope with it. As someone that shies away from anything cringe, I think I would definitely still <laughs> recommend like this to people. Furious. That was a low blow. <laughs> we will get to that. You'll get to say your piece. Anyway, that's Blinded by the Light. It's out in cinemas now. It's on at every local cinema in Cambridge and most of the surrounding cineworlds. Bums on seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. We're going to move on to animals now. So, so actually, I was about to say a slightly different change of pace and tone, but maybe not. Just maybe slightly older protagonists. But this is kind of teen movie for the over 25s, I'm guessing. No, well, no we, we don't call those teen movies. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's listen to the trailer and then you can explain to me where I'm wrong. So, what do you do? I'm a writer. I'm trying to nail the work-life balance. Sooner or later, the party has to end. Why? (laughs) Tyler, this is Jim. Make way. My friend's lover is the man of the hour. Does he play the piano like he's making love to a beautiful woman? You know, none of this changes our friendship. Will you be my matron of honour? I'll be your matron of dishonour. Would you like some fizz while you're looking? It's complimentary. Yes. Bonjour. How could you resist? This is the kind of drink that undresses you. What's an animal's primary need? Food. Sex. Safety. Was any of it real? (laughs) All of it. So, Animals, based on the novel of the same name by Emma Jane Unsworth. Yossi, Yossi, I did it already. First time I try and say Rosie. (laughs) This is why you're not allowed on the show together. Yossi and Rosie. Completely different names. So walk us through the plot then. Who are these people? What's happening? Okay, we've got two women in their early 30s, fantastic friends. They've got incredible chemistry. Their lives sort of revolve around partying, drugs, living life in a bohemian, hedonistic way. Um, one is a sort of struggling author, barista by day. The other, I think, is, is working as a barista too. Mm-hmm. And um, they just live this incredibly sort of party-fueled, fun-filled lifestyle. And they're noticing that some of their friends so the sister the older sister I think of one of the characters is about to have a baby and they're starting to notice that some of their friends are going in different directions and I guess they're kind of wondering well they're not really wondering that much what they're doing with their lives (laughs) at the start of the film but one of them falls in love with someone she meets who's perhaps a little bit more straight-laced not quite as much into the partying as she is and you start to see the cracks 
it form in the friendship between the two female characters because they've been so bonded together by this kind of you know it's almost like us against the world and um so you you kind of watch that start to unraveling and they start to question themselves and where they are in their lives and um i think it's a very interesting representation of kind of women in their early 30s who've gone you know it's a it's a common sort of situation they they've just enjoyed partying and having fun and being young and um I guess partly it's to do with societal pressures, but also it's to do with kind of wondering what it is they actually want from their lives. Um, and, uh, you know, being a woman in my 30s myself, I was really hoping to enjoy it. And I, I was just reflecting on it because I, while I was watching it, I had a few issues with it, mm-hmm. um, which is nothing to do with the incredible performances of the two actors, Elias Shawkat and Holiday Granger, particularly Holiday Granger, I thought it was fantastic in it. Yeah. Um, but I just had a bit of, and it's quite, it feels, I was saying earlier, it feels a bit reductive to say this, but... I had a bit of a first world problems issue with it, if I'm honest. Tell us. Well, <laughs> Safe space, it's only us. You know, <laughs> I I felt that we were kind of encouraged to feel sympathy for them. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel their problems were that bad. I was like, well, you know, you seem to have an endless supply of money. Your clothes are incredible. Yeah. Somehow you've got the time to do whatever the he- heck you want. Um, they didn't even pay for the drugs that they're using as no, well. They so just I mean, nick- they saved did, a lot of money to be there. Fair, they, were, uh, they were very, uh, um, yeah, they just nicked some some MDMA I discovered is okay. what it was yeah. I thought it was a pot of sherbet which shows how much I know about the world of drugs <laughs> oh, these days oh I'm cool too don't worry <laughs> <laughs> um, but then when I reflected on it so I felt a little bit irritated by it if I'm honest but then when okay. I reflected on it afterwards it really stayed with me a lot and I think it was asking some really important questions and I thought it's really important that this kind of story is being told so I had mixed feelings mm. about it from hearing you talk, I feel irritated by them. So <laughs> do you think, though, that that's how you're supposed to feel how they feel, that society is just like, get your acts together, you don't know what you're doing, nothing you do is of worth, find your own place in life, get a real job, have families, this, that and the other? Yeah, I don't know if they were necessarily trying to sort of say, or oh, you you must feel this way. Mm. Um, you know, it was, it was just a representation of some characters, and I think other people have compared it to With Nail and I and that kind of thing. You know, they're this ultimate double act, just going around yeah. doing whatever they want. But whereas in With Nail and I, they just continue in this. It's like, but actually, you're a woman, so there's these things you maybe you should be doing and should up. be thinking yeah. about. Um, which is something I think is being, that, that kind of theme is... In a, you see that in a lot of cultural you know, literature and films at the moment so it's good, it's good that that conversation's happening Excellent. and the fact you said it was compared to With Nail Night leads nicely into my next question because With Nail was what, early, mid 80s? when was that? I think 80s so, at some yeah. point so we've now had to wait I can't do that maths, 30 years <laughs> true, that's a good point so we've had to wait 30 yeah. years to get a film about two female similar characters like that and we were talking while the trailer was playing I think, tell me if you think it's different, that that age group is so rarely represented in women. We either have mean girls down that nested in high school or we have older mums struggling with life as a mum or dealing with their families. You don't get the middle bit at all. So, Victoria, what did you think about that? Have you seen a similar film like this? I think this is quite similar to like an Irish Francis Ha in a way. Um, like Frances Ha's the Greta Gerwig film yeah. that came out, mm. and I feel the sort that of that was billed as groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, though, wasn't it? yeah. I think uh, they were in their late twenties, mm. but also because of that, I felt exactly the same way 
I did after I watched it, as I did with animals, in that it sort of makes you have one of those little crises within yourselves. Um, because I think in this film, her sister says a line in that you don't want to get left behind. Mm. And I feel like when you're in your mid-20s... That's exactly I'm, the constant feeling, Yeah, and uh, when you're in your mid-20s and you're like thinking about how do I do all these things to set me up for later life, it's uh, it, it hurt when like, you watch this film... My friend was like, there's no bite. And I was like, the whole film was the bite. And that makes you just feel um, unprepared and quite scared. But it also makes you want a glass of white wine afterwards. <laughs> so does its job. I don't, I'm not aware of anything else Sophie Hyde, the director, has done. Is anyone else aware of their um, I'm definitely not going to pronounce the name of her TV miniseries. Uh, Which one? So, well, you'll see it oh, when right, you look at okay. her. Yeah, I'm not pronouncing yeah. that on her. No swearing on the radio. Uh, oh, you yeah. had surprisingly bums on seats, listeners. Alistair has beef with this film. Share with the group. Um, well, I'll go to my hyper-specific beef in a minute. <laughs> um, I did like the film. I wasn't, unlike uh, the others, I wasn't entirely sold on the rel- the friendship between Holiday Granger and Alia Shawkat's characters just because... Just from the get-go, Alia Shawkat's character is just such a toxic person and just so against every single one of her friend's life choices if they aren't related to her selfish need to have somebody come out and party with her. Do they go into why that is at all, or is she just a... She's just a very needy person, right. I felt I'm that guessing. was a bit of a failing. I think they could... They did a bit of the backstory... There's obviously a reason for that. ...with yeah. her dad, but they, you okay. don't... I felt like they could have gone further into that. It's, She's a bit one-dimensional. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The performance is... Uh, are both very good. It's just I'm not sure the writing of the characters is fully there where it needs to be. And I'd say it does come across more one-dimensional than it should. Anyway, hyper-specific beef time. (laughs) The bit that we've all been waiting for. I do agree with it, though, but go on. Um, There's a scene. uh, There's a scene at karaoke bar uh, where Alia Shawkat's character, she gets up on stage to perform the song Royals by Lord. Uh, but instead of starting at the start of the song, the karaoke track starts in the chorus, and it really annoyed me. And I was happy that was in the final ten minutes, because otherwise I would have it's been angry for the life. whole film. It's not true exactly, to life. it's not true to life. This is supposed to be realism. It's you're a starting good the song job in the chorus. It comes near the end, so that you're able to walk out petulantly. Yeah, I would have just been fuming <laughs> for the whole <laughs> film. What you did. Start. Yeah. Oh no, you've never walked out of a film in your life, have you? On principle, I can imagine that's the kind no, of no. Thing that that is true. I have always uh, <laughs> remained till the end credits. I've paid. I'm staying there till the end. You know. <laughs> But I did think, I was just <laughs> we were talking about this earlier, I said, well, that's quite symbolic of her character because she's such a hedonist, she just wants to get to the main bit of the song. <laughs> <laughs> and please tell that to the director so, you know, she can, she can have pretend. some false sense of self-worth yeah. about that uh, particular mistake. Well, sorry, I was not ready to ask you another question. I remember you, who was it that said the Worth Now thing? I just saw her name, Caitlin Moran. Oh, did she? So she's she's a bit divisive in terms of, well, her writing style, and I think unfairly so. A certain gender might not be that keen on her, and a certain age group might not be that keen on her. So do you think this is maybe catching a bit of flack for the same reasons, that it's about with Nail and I like women of a certain age that are sort of maybe demonised in general society, or is it just not brilliantly written and it just fails to catch your imagination that much? I, I think it's I think it's the latter more. Okay. I, I felt that if I'd have I felt like I knew quite a lot about Holiday Granger's character, not enough about Elias Shortcut's character to find her sympathetic. Elias Shortcut off of Arrested Development. Everyone. Yeah. Maybe. In Arrested Development. <laughs> yes, indeed. It's good to see she's doing well actually. Yeah. She was great in that. But I think um 
you know, and I think this always comes back to it doesn't, the characters don't have to be sympathetic, but you want to understand them. You have, we want to understand their motivations, why they're behaving the way they do. And I felt that we didn't have enough of that with her, which made yeah. that she meant that she was quite a sort of simplistic character, and I could see why people would find her quite irritating yeah, as I, representation. I can't see a screenwriter listed. It just says based on the novel by, so that might be one of the problematic reasons that nothing yeah. was really fleshed out. I don't know if it was left out of the book itself. Um, we did. We are aware of Sophie Hyde on this show because she did 20, 52 Tuesdays, sorry. It came out here at around 2015 and she was interviewed for Bums on Seats. Oh. Dig that podcast out, guys. I apologise to Sophie Hyde for any negative comments I I'm, made toward her I'm film. She's sure. a regular listener of this show. I'm sure she doesn't uh, expect you to like everything she's done. She, no, she's she's on the iTunes feed constantly, refreshing. Right, where's my latest bums on seats episode? <laughs> I'm not going to bother listening because Alistair's not on that show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> she's a woman of taste. Which, um, also, can I just say, yeah. uh, just to shorten it down, with female and I? With, no, oh, with Alistair. With no. Vermeule and I. Okay. It, yeah, it, it sounded better in my head. I'm sorry. I'm with I, I'll that. leave now. I, I, I like it. I like it. <laughs> I was going to say... Oh, you like the with Vermeule and I or yeah. the film? Okay. <laughs> just, just the joke. <laughs> I was going to say, do, do you think it is worth a watch or is it quite... Unless you're, you're a fan of the work of Sophie Hyde or one of the actors specifically, is it, or does it just fall a bit... I think one thing I didn't say is I think visually it's stunning. Okay. It's very visually interesting. You know, there's a lot of, I think a lot of thought and attention has gone into how it's been shot and it's it's beautiful and I think that's why it stayed with me for quite a while afterwards. It's quite haunting at times and there's this sort of repetitive motif of a fox (sighs) which I couldn't help but thinking of Fleabag not that it's the same thing at all, but the fox... Not stolen off of, surely not. The fox roaming around um, okay. as a representation of a sort of wild female animalistic character. Yeah. I was like, that's weird that that's been used twice. And also, it's uh, we haven't mentioned that it's set in Dublin, and it goes yes, out of its way Ireland, to yeah. not capture the average tourist scene in Dublin. It feels like very much the bars that only Dublin locals would yeah, go to. Yeah, that's true. And so it feels very lived in, even though, you know, the director's an Australian... Uh, the cast aren't from Ireland, English but it still feels American. yeah, it still feels authentically Irish. Because looking at this film, I just I would just assume it was set in London, in sort of really trendy London, the, the kind of characters you're looking at. So yeah, maybe that's another nice bit of effort she's made to say these kind of women exist everywhere. I actually didn't catch on to that until I started <laughs> using euros in the film. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, in what in which country do they use euros? <laughs> euros in Not this one yeah. yet. Anyway, that's um, Animals, directed by Sophie Hyde. It's out now, but you can only see it at the Arts Picture House in town. In Napoli, where love is king, when boy meets girl, here's what they say. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's amore. Bells will ring, tingle-ling-a-ling, tingle-ling-a-ling, and you'll sing Vita Bella. Hearts will play tippy-tippy-tay, tippy-tippy-tay Like a guitar and When the stars make you drool Just like a pasta fuzzle That's some more 
When you dance down the street with a cloud at your feet, you're in love. When you walk in a dream, but you know you're not dreaming. Little change of pace there. We've decided to expand your horizons, Bums on Seats listeners. And then every show, we're going to do one oldie but greatie film that we've noticed is doing the rounds on things like Netflix or Amazon and tell you why you should go and see them and not just spend your days watching the Fast and Furious franchise, Victoria, in the cinema. Which is, right, sorry, again, I'm, I'm hating you today. Back to Moonstruck, which is what we're looking at this week. 1987, starring Nicolas Cage and Cher, directed by Norman Jewison, written by John Patrick Shanley. We'll play you a little trailer and then we will tell you what it's about and why you should dig it out on Netflix. The moon brings the woman to the man, capisci? The moon is a little like love. Will you marry me? I will marry you. I will be your wife. You love him, Loretta? No. Good. When you love him, they drive you crazy. Sometimes. Why are you marrying Johnny? He's a fool. It makes you act a little crazy. Where are you taking me? To the bed. That moon, that crazy moon. Now you talk. I love you. What? Snap out of it. A la familia, eh? Moonstruck. As operatic as it sounds, <laughs> we'll get into everything we need to say about it. But basically, Cher plays Loretta, who's a 40-something, shock horror, bookkeeper. From Well, she was about 40 when she made this. She was probably supposed to be in her 30s. You can't have a 40-year-old woman in a 1987 rom-com. Um, she's a bookkeeper from Brooklyn, New York. She's a widow. She's agreed to marry a guy. She's kind of in a nice-ish relationship with because she feels like she should be married. And then Nick Cage comes onto the scene, the younger brother, estranged younger brother of Cher's um, fiancé, and he takes her to the bed and beyond, as you can see. Um, my love for Cher is well documented, so I'm going to try and talk less in this review. We welcome Ed as well. Hi, Ed. Hello. Ed, the theatre guy off of stage and screen on Thursdays, doesn't know anything about Moonstruck, would like to learn more. Who wants to dive at what, well, Rosie, you were making hand gestures during the trailer? <laughs> oh, I'm you so love glad. This, I take it. So glad you picked this film. It's one of my all time favourites. Producer Toby suggested it, and I said, Of course I love Moonstruck. Absolutely, yes. of course. <laughs> Everyone should watch it. Bring this joy into your life. It is such a fantastic film. I love it so much. It's so, it's just so brilliant. It's And you mentioned it's operatic. So, I think one of the kind of themes, because I've watched this quite a, lot, quite a few times, but watching it again, thinking about doing this show, I notice the kind of theme of opera so much more than I've noticed before. And this kind of, his character, Nicolas Cage's character, when he comes into the story, just completely transforms everything. And if you've seen Nicolas Cage in films, mm -hmm. I think he's known sometimes for being a little bit over the top. Slightly dramatic. Slightly dramatic, but he is so perfectly cast in this. He needs to be like that. And he is just, from the moment he comes onto the screen... He's just so, he is operatic in his performance. And, you know, we've mentioned this famous scene where, so he's he's had this terrible falling out with his brother 
because um, he he's a he's a bread maker, and there was an incident in which the, uh, he looked away when his brother was talking to him, and I think burnt his hand in the bread oven. Oh, he or sliced he it. He sliced in it. The bread sliced it in the bread slicer. And um, as such, he has a, a wooden hand. And there's this incredibly dramatic scene that is just, I just love it so much. Producer Toby cut that scene you, for us. I'll you've put, got shall clip. I play it for you play now? Play the clip. I'll play it for you now. Five years ago, I was engaged to be married. And, uh, and Johnny came in here and he ordered bread for me. And I said, oh, okay, some bread. <laughs> and, and I put my hand in the slicer and it got caught because I wasn't paying attention. The slicer chewed off my hand. <laughs> it's funny because when my fiance found out about it, when she found out that I had been maimed, she left me for another man. That's the bad blood between you and Johnny? Yes, that's it. Yeah, but I, that's not Johnny's fault. I don't care! I ain't no freaking monument to justice! I lost my hand! I lost my bride! Johnny has his hand! Johnny has his bride! You want me to take my heartbreak, put it away and forget? Is that the scene you meant? That is absolutely the scene I meant. And it just from that moment on, it's just this incredibly beautiful, dramatic relationship that develops between these two characters and shares absolute blossoming um, upon meeting him, their lives are just completely transformed. It's just, it's such a beautiful film because their story isn't the only story. There's all these mini stories sort of in the peripheral, round, happening around the edges. They're all sort of focused around love and romance and what it all means. And the moon plays this important role as it's kind of affecting them and transforming them. And You're totally right about that because, um, sorry, you're about to say something else. I was just going to say there's just also a brilliant supporting cast. I love yes. Olympia Dukakis in this film. That's what I was going to scroll to. So I think it's only because Cher and Nick Cage became Cher and Nick Cage that we think it's their film, but it is totally ensemble. Theirs is one of at least three love stories I can think of. Um, so you have Vincent Gardenia, um, John Mahoney, lots of people who I don't think are really longer with us, most of them, but these huge, big-hitting classic actors. And Cher and Nick Cage just kind of a little side love story on it but Cher is the centre of every story anyway Yossi you'd never seen this before this show what did you think you were being sent to watch and what did you end up watching I have no idea what I expected actually I just thought oh it's Cher oh it's Nick Cage and I don't know why and so don't forgive me but I just thought it would be a bit not, not so did the bit, academy bit rubbish, a bit rubbish <laughs> but um i actually really enjoyed it um i just thought it was very sweet and charming um and harmless is kind of the word that i think of when i think of this film it's just kind of joyful to watch and um I just, it's kind of erratic in places as well. And for other films, it wouldn't work. But for some for some reason, and perhaps it is that harmless factor, that erratic nature really worked. And that's why I like that you picked that clip, because I think that's quite a good example of that. It's, it's a very weird Nick Cage moment. I'll ask you, Ed, because you've not seen mm -hmm, it. I haven't. And you can say some other stuff about Nicolas Cage, because I was trying to Google, having come to this 
I've watched late 90s onwards rom-coms and having watched this I did try and Google if this was a parody but only because <laughs> this film has been parodied so much that to go back and watch the original you think oh they must be kidding surely um, but the only thing that came up was how Nick Cage has become a parody of himself since he acted in this film so this mm. was just an incredible performance he's completely out of place yet fits so perfectly and is that very weird operatic larger than life character in this quite normal kitchen sink Brooklyn family life so do you think Nick Cage in the rest of the stuff you see for the rest of his life is trying to be this kind of dramatic big guy and failing to do any kind of good job in any film he's acted in since this you know, I, 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 I kind of disagree to be honest um, <laughs> I, like Nick Cage is essentially an incredibly good actor um, I think I think recently he's fallen on some hard times, which has been in the press about um, he's had several homes and that kind of thing. Mm. And um, as a result of that, just like any jobbing actor, he's had to basically do any movie that he's been offered, really, to keep the, the bills paid. But there was a time the when he was... The conservatory thing. Yeah. Well, conservatory. <laughs> there was a time that he was, you know, um, a really... You know, I know not many people are in... Uh, you know, some people turn their noses up at Jerry Bruckheimer films. But, for example, The Rock... Um, you know, when he was in that film, I thought he did a, a fantastic job. Um, obviously, was never going to win any Oscars for it, um, but um, I thought that he was very subtle in the role that he played. And also, we've got Leaving Las Vegas as well, which oh, yeah, was an was amazing film. I'll let you off for that one. Alistair, you'd, you had seen this before you revisited it. How long between viewings? Did you watch it on purpose the first time? Well, <laughs> so this weirdly uh, follows on from Ed's answer. So I was going through a period of my life early this decade where me and my friends were going through all of Nicolas Cage's performances to see which were the most insane. <laughs> and that was the context in which I first saw Moonstruck. So the first time I saw Moonstruck, I didn't like it because okay. there was only... Except the monologue that we just played is the only real standout scene in terms of Cage craziness. The rest of it is more as restrained as he can get while still being stark raving lunatic. Um, and so yesterday I came back to it and I'm still not as crazy about it as uh, you guys are, but mm -hmm. it feels like it's a very sort of slight, very lovely film. Um, I'm kind of surprised that it has been such a, a long-lasting thing within pop culture and that the Academy went for it so hard because it, it's just, you know, it's very they didn't quaint. give her the Oscar for Silkwood, so they had to say sorry. <laughs> but it is just, it's, it's like a nice little quaint uh, romance. And that's exactly and one of the next questions I had, Alistair. It's almost as if we planned it. We have totally <laughs> planned it. Um, because it really, like I said, it, it you feel like it's a parody because if you're used to watching things made in the 90s and noughties, this is total Nora Ephron territory and she was so famous for like sort of um, Harry Met Sally. No, 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 that wasn't her. Um, what am I that trying to say? That wasn't her. The one about the post box that's a remake of the... You've Got Mail. You've Got Mail. Got mail. Post box. Uh -huh. <laughs> there you go. The original was about the post box. But yet, yeah, so th this has huge undertones of Nora Ephron. Do you think this kind of paved the way for a certain, this whole genre of films that women nowadays love? Because the, re the reason producer Toby picked this, because he said, on rewatch 20 years later, I now understand why so many women just adored this film. Um, one thing I thought of when I rewatched this is it reminded me of another of my favourite 
rom-com type films uh, I think the very underrated While You Were Sleeping I love oh, While You Were Sleeping you were I sleeping. used to have an A1 framed poster in my house did you? <laughs> amazing um, yeah just because it's got a lot of similar themes that kind of close-knit family that real Americana but then you know the disruption that happens when a stranger comes in and yeah it just made me want to I just suddenly thought of While You Were Sleeping which I think is also set in winter and I was going to say all these brilliant films always have Christmas in the winter isn't this about the same period of time when films like Working Girl came out? Oh, this would have been slightly late, ever so slightly later. So was Working Girl maybe 81? Yeah, 81, because I yeah. think that's kind of... Yeah, yeah, I don't, I've never seen this film, but the way that you've <laughs> described it kind of fits in with that whole yeah. kind of rom-com thing. And also, you know, I think Working Girl is one of those films that had um, quite a strong female lead. Oh, God, mm. yeah. Working Girl something feels... you've never seen before, either. Yeah. It feels a lot more modern, I would say. I mean, I think yeah. Moonstruck actually feels quite dated. It's very homely it and old-fashioned. Because yeah. wow, Moonstruck okay. feels like a period piece. Yeah. That's the thing, because you could watch it and it could be set at any point in the last 100 years. Yeah, it could it's have been so, from the 40s or 50s. Exactly, it's so yeah. clued into that one neighbourhood. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the, the sense of family, so you get your morals and the way you live your life from your great-great-grandparents and they have their pictures up in the house and then they sort of feed through into Cher, who's so... Share not share her character Loretta, <laughs> who, who feels so bound by what the family expects from her. So rather than say why I think it meant so much, Yozzy on first view, two thousand and nineteen, born in the were you born in the nineties? Gross. Anyway, oh so did you <laughs> did you pick <laughs> younger? <laughs> what did you pick out of this film in terms of feminist tropes why do you think women in the 80s were like wow I've never seen a film with a woman like this in it or who treat female characters like this before are you able to still pick that stuff out or is it still so obvious in things that we see in the cinema today I don't know I think that's quite an interesting question and I think you've kind of answered it because I think well because um, in terms of the themes there's still stuff that's a little bit old-fashioned perhaps to us now in though in that film but having somebody like Loretta as a main character and having the story be about how she is with her family and how how she's in this kind of relationship which is not totally love it's just there's something about the way it's treated the way it's handled um without being I don't know patronizing or or seeing things from sort of male sensibilities perhaps that that I picked out as working quite well. Not all the time. I'm not going to say it's perfect. It's not, you know, it's an example of, of feminist cinema. But compared to some of the other films from that era, it's quite refreshing. And I, because it was the first time I'd seen it, that is not what I expected at all. I was quite surprised. And I think the thing that people spoke about the most, hands down, was the fact that she had grey hairs and she's she was 41 when she made this film. Nick Cage was 23. And they were just... Was he? It was horrendous to people. You can't have a love story with that age gap. It's not, it, it's not believable. And Loretta's own dad is seeing a woman several decades younger than her. Marty from Frasier is a cameo in this. And he's constantly trying to date these women who are so much younger than him. And no one bats an eyelid at it. Um, I wonder as well, maybe, Alice, that's a good question for you. I got Star is Born from this. Gaga's star is born massively. Did you see any kind of 
similarities. I uh, bet you hated Star is Born. I loved Star is Born. What? Um, uh, I, again, this is another thing of us being sort of telekinetic because whilst watching it, I was thinking who would be in this world today? And I was thinking, well, Gaga did a similar character within Star is Born, that big, uh, bold uh, Italian-American woman. And yeah, she could easily slot into a modern day remake of this. Yeah. I don't know who would play the Nicolas Cage role, though. Oh, interesting. Who would play the Nick? Oh, oh, no, Nicholas Holt. We're going from one Nicholas to another. Nicholas Holt. Maybe work though. Jake Gyllenhaal. You know he can do that slightly crazed vibe sometimes. He would. He would give a definitely give a better monologue about slicing his hand off. (laughs) I could see him doing that really well. Yeah. Like you know he plays that crazy (laughs) role in Okja. Yeah. yeah, I'm thinking that. Play it as his character yeah. in Okja talking about his hand being sliced off being a monument to justice. <laughs> like, who's the guy from good. Drive? Uh, Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Oh, Ryan. What about oh, Ryan? Yeah. Oh, no, Ryan? Oh, he would be good actually. He's too cute and soft, though. I think. Plus, that's also a different kind of intensity where he's just silent and sort of lets it bubble under. Mm-hmm. Whereas for for this, it needs to be you big and melodramatic. Yeah. Yeah. A performance operatic actor. Um, but yeah, things when going back to the the feminism thing, things like that she was just like driving the car when they came away from the restaurant, they got engaged. She's driving the car. Um, but then they, they don't shy away from the fact that if she wants to be happy, she does still feel like she has to go and get the grey dyed out of her hair, go and put some fancy clothes on, and it's... But don't... Yeah, it's it doesn't fall down one side or the other. It's not kind of a, like you said, straight-up feminine wonder piece. It's, it's quite obvious that she's in her late 30s and wants to get married in 80s Brooklyn and needs to do certain things. It, it was very much the animals of its day. <laughs> Do you think so? Uh, <laughs> like, I have not seen that. I love how the love was segue there. Not sure I completely agree. <laughs> no. <laughs> Thanks. I just, just want to disturb the part. That's all I want to do. Apart then... from the scene where she does the MGMA. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I okay. missed that scene. Was that the opera bathroom? Anyway. So, um, <laughs> why then? We'll start with Rosie. Why would you tell listeners to go back and watch a film made in 1987 when you're scrolling through Netflix Sunday afternoon, probably, oh, if you don't like going out and exercising. Yeah. Why would you tell them to watch this rather than one of the newer things on Netflix? I mean, I think everyone's touched on the fact that it's, it's very warm-hearted as a film. Um, I mean, for me, it's just the, the central performances. I just adore seeing... I think Nicolas Cage and Cher were both so perfectly cast in these characters. Um, it's just... I mean, it's complete escapism, but I love it. I love the representation of Brooklyn and her Italian family and yeah, I mean, I, I'm also a huge fan of Marty from Frasier. I can't remember what his name is in real life. Um, but I just love seeing him in this. It's just, to me, it's just like eating like a lovely warm bowl of chicken soup. It's just so dreamy. Yeah, love it. Yeah, and I think it's definitely worth seeking out because it's an hour 40, but it flies by extremely fast. And it's just a very humble film of the kind that often doesn't get made these days. Although, uh, in a segue to a film that probably will be terrible that's coming out in a couple of years, um, the, one of the writers of Green Book is writing a film called That's Amore, oh. which sounds exactly like his attempt oh, at Moonstruck. No. Oh, uh, what? And, I'm not uh, get that it, performance. It, it, it sounds Watch terrible. Watch an Oscar. So, yeah. Everybody prepare yourselves for that. And w- but watch Moonstruck, which will take your mind off it. <laughs> Don't think about that, Samori. Think about Moonstruck. Moonstruck's just a joy to watch. Um, and I think it's very quotable as well. Um, and it, it just just quite fun. I, like, I think whoever said Sunday afternoon is the time to watch it, that's a really good time to, to just chill and put an old film on. 
For sure. One of the super well-made rom-coms that we don't really get anymore because they make them to Netflix algorithms these days. So why don't you stick to the original? Moonstruck was made in 1987. It's a PG and it's on Netflix now. Bums on Seats on Cambridge 105 Radio. And if we could change pace any quicker in perhaps not to 60 seconds, let's have a listen to the trailer for Hobbs and Shaw, the latest in the Fast and the Furious franchise. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Hobbs. There's two of them and two billion dollars worth of us. If the three of us don't work together, billions of people will die. Your sister is one of the toughest, baddest, most capable women. I've ever encountered. No one could do it better. My kind of girl. I see what you're doing. You think I'm stupid? Of course I think you're stupid. Oh, H to the OB. Sing a lot. How to kill you with black and everything that's fly. I'm like. I never claimed I had wings on. Woo! We're gonna need cars and guns. Oh, I can handle that part. <laughs> I'm sorry to bring this here, Mama. Luke, this is your home. Go in that cooler. You're gonna get one star more and ass whoopee. So that's Hobbs and Shaw, everyone. <laughs> the latest in the Fast and Furious franchise. We're joined by Laura. We haven't seen you for a while. Thanks for having me back. I hope that it was worth the trip in. You like this kind of stuff, though, and we need to give it a fair billing because guess what, Alistair didn't. Um, but Victoria, will go to you first. You tell us what it's about because you're a big fan of the Fast and Furious franchise, so we'll leave it to you to say what it's about. Explain to us where we are in the Fast and Furious universe. Okay, I think I should first off say that this is in no way related and almost to the Fast and Furious universe apart from the titles of the characters that are in it. Uh, basically, we have uh, Deckard Shaw and Luke Hobbs, uh, played by The Rock and Jason Statham. And uh, Jason Statham's sister, who's played by Vanessa Kirby, has injected herself with this kind of uh, new wave uh, biomedical terrorist attack thing that can um, cause the wipeout of the world. And uh, we should note that it's called the Snowflake. There we go. Uh, <laughs> and uh, from that, uh, she gets... That's number one thing Alice doesn't like yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> from that, uh, she gets turned on by the MI6 and she gets framed by Idris Elba, who comes in as this... Uh, he's noted as black superman throughout it and uh, he's trying to take down them all and so they recruit uh, Hobbs and Shaw who don't want to work together and then they sort of create an end of film bromance uh, to defeat Idris Elba and what he works for so Laura have you seen all of them of course Did, I have and you liked all of them <laughs> until now okay so explain <laughs> I even have a soft spot for Tokyo Drift which was another oh my spin god off, kind of you like Jason Statham in real life as well don't you oh I do like a bit of a Statham <laughs> <laughs> sorry to get a bit sexist on him there but he couldn't even say this I mean it shouldn't be classed as Fast and Furious. There's no proper car chases. They put one in at the end, I think, just to kind of pay homage to the series. Well, there's that one near the start where there's a chase scene where it's saying it's in London, but it's clearly Glasgow because you can tell because it's a very famous <laughs> branch of Greg's that they drive past. 
<laughs> we have Greg's in London as well. Alistair. Oh no, this is a very specific Glasgow branch of Greg's. Uh, have you been to this branch of Greg's? Everybody on Twitter who's seen this has been like, it's Glasgow, I've seen the Greg's. Available. Uh, I just That's mean, brilliant. I get that they wanted to have a big spin-off film with these two characters, but they could have just done it on its own. Don't call it a Fast and Furious. I mean, even the sister character, she's meant to be about four or five years younger. There's a 20-something age gap in real life. Because patriarchy. <laughs> anyway, before we go to Alistair's whole ripping of this, Yossi, what in your measured, kind of fair and, and nice sort of thing that you got going on <laughs> this didn't seem outwardly from what i know of you like it would be your thing what did you make of it okay thank you for that by the way i feel <laughs> very um very flattered uh, but okay so i've never really seen a fast and furious movie in full but apparently this is not fast and furious so maybe that's why i kind of liked it a little bit but i have to admit that i will like anything that the rock is in and he's been in some rubbish rubbish films and this is one that i will freely admit is a bit rubbish but i don't know something about it it was quite funny it was quite entertaining it surprised me it was like a little another pleasant surprise this week I, too, was totally pleasantly surprised. So the people that have never seen any of the others, really, and didn't want to like it, I didn't mind it. I remember you told me off. You said, take that woman's phone off her because I was quite obviously sending a message during a film. I was like, I'm halfway through this. I don't mind it. I sent it to the um, the radio group. But there was... I thought they were trying to do new things. I was expecting it to be normal car chase, action, guns blazing. But I saw them try and put little twists and tweaks on that bit, those bits of action. And they try to lace themes in like artificial intelligence and fake news and the disparity between intercontinental intelligence agencies, the role of women in these previously muscle-bound, heavy professions, how their skill set is always going to be different because they're never going to be as strong, but how that is in some way better. And just... I liked a lot more of it than I thought it, I was going to. And I think what I kind of liked about it as well is I just it kind of accepts its silliness. It's very silly and it it knows it's very silly and it just ran with it or car chased with it or whatever. And it was really, I don't know, I just quite liked it. But is that upsetting to Fast and the Furious fans? Because it's not, yeah. you don't want to That's be taken the pee out of. not what Fast and the Furious is traditionally about. What I wanted to see was these amazing car chases and I wanted to see, obviously there's plenty of stunts in this, but I, like I, Laura said, I forgot it was a Fast and Furious film until the last maybe 10 minutes where they just pop in a car scene and like, here we are again, linking it to the franchise. Whoopsie, forgot that. <laughs> and like halfway through, like, I wanted to like this a lot, but um, I actually struggled to laugh out loud. Like, I, I was just sort of giggling. Like, it was a giggle film for me, which is, yeah. yeah. I enjoyed those giggles. <laughs> yeah, More and of a I, cringe. I found myself laughing at quite a few bits. So in the Fast and Furious film, do they have pretty big-time cameos popping up all the time? Because Ryan Reynolds is in this, and he's and Rob Delaney was quite a good... Yeah, we Comedy had Helen Mirren back in there at the beginning. Yeah, and the film well. stops yeah. dead for five minutes, so Kevin Hart can do a stand-up routine that has no bearing oh, on the plot whatsoever. Hello, Alistair. Is this the point of the review? Right, we well, I can't contain go. myself anymore. Okay, this is the thing. Go. I've been, like, gripping the desk. Uh, <laughs> Release. So Explain. I, I'm not, like, a massive Fast and Furious fan. I've enjoyed many of the previous films, but I think what the previous films do is they know they're ridiculous, but they don't repeatedly wink at the audience saying we know how ridiculous we are 
they just get on with being ridiculous. And here they've hired uh, David Leitch, who uh, previously made Deadpool 2, and they've seen, well, he made Deadpool 2. He made this superhero comedy that keeps winking at the audience, saying, I know it's a superhero comedy. Let's get him to do the exact same thing for Fast and Furious. And as soon as they start winking at the audience, saying, we know how ridiculous this is, it just stops being fun. The fun was, the tongue was always in the cheek, but they played it sincerely. And here it's just like, yeah, we know this is ridiculous. Have at it. And they're just trying to make it funny. And it's so painful, so painful to sit through. Oh, God, I'm running out of breath. Just uh, Maybe ranting. the trick is, if you've seen a Fast and Furious movie before, don't watch this one if you haven't watched this one. True. Because that's I, the divide I'm seeing here. I think that's fair to say yours, and, definitely. Oh, yeah, and Ryan Reynolds just comes in to do Deadpool. <laughs> like, Ryan, Ryan Reynolds appears. He's got his Deadpool 2 director, and he says, yeah, can you just do the Deadpool thing? Yeah, cool, just come on, just and talk, he did the talk Deadpool fast thing and wink very at the audience. Well. <laughs> so do, do you feel tricked into this then, FNF fans? Because this film made $60 million on its opening weekend, and do you think that's because you were all told you were seeing a Fast and Furious spin-off? The Definitely. previous Fast and Furious movie, Fast and Furious 8, made $100 million on its opening weekend, so people are not falling for that uh, falling for that trick. Okay. They're, see, they're saying Hobbs and Shaw are more like Hobbs and Paw. <laughs> oh, I was waiting oh, for something like that. Cringe. What? So, Victoria and Laura, how can and can this franchise save itself? Well, uh, Fast and Furious 9 is coming out soon, and I don't believe Jason Statham is going to appear in it. Is um, it really an FNF film if Jason Statham is not in it? It is completely it? an FNF film. He only came it. in a few films oh, ago. I do not know anything. I feel like you should also <laughs> mention that um, there's a Fast and Furious favourite called Ham. He's a legendary character throughout the films. He even died in the third one, and they brought him back for two more, three more films almost. And uh, Deckard Shaw, Jason Saves' character, was the one that killed him. So Fast and Furious fans are sort of a bit... Um, still, we still have this grudge against Deckard Shaw, even though it is Jason Statham, and I love him. I still don't have this likability for him in this franchise. Yeah, definitely. His character seemed different to the last films in this as well. Yeah, like they've they've just created a, him around. a whole new personality for him. I have a theory on this. I have a theory that because Vin Diesel and The Rock had this like very big public falling out and they needed to get another Fast and Furious movie <gasps> yeah. made. So I reckon they just thought, right, let's do this spin-off. But they just got like some generic straight to DVD action script that wasn't going anywhere and then just copied and pasted the Hobbs and Shaw names into it and like, right, yeah. Pretty Let's much. go with that. The best scene was just Jason Statham hitting someone with a four sliced toaster. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds funny when you describe it. And if that does not sell, Hob Fast and Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw to you. Go and see it to watch Jason Statham hit someone with a four-sliced toaster in their face. Anyway, that is pretty much all we have time for this week. Thank you to all the reviewers. We've had Laura winged her way in there at the end. Ed winged his way in to talk to us about Moonstruck. We had Rosie, Vicky, Alistair and Yozzy. Thanks very much for joining us. We'll be back in two more weeks' time, so please join us then. If you've missed anything from today's show, you can listen back tomorrow. We're repeated on Sundays at 2 o'clock, and throughout the summer, we're repeated on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. You just heard us review Fast and Furious Presents Hobson Shaw. We also looked at Moonstruck, which is out now on Netflix. We looked at Animals, which is on for maybe just one more week at the Picture House, so please catch that if you want to. And we also reviewed Blinded by the Light, which is a feel-good, even by Alistair's standards, um, look back at the music of Bruce Springsteen. So I will play you out with some Blinded by the Light by Bruce. Goodbye. Bye. 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 
Save the bus, I turn up the band. 